1 John chapter 5. We're in the last chapter of 1 John, and this is the last in the series, rather long series for such a small book. Uh, but this is the last last time we'll be looking at it together. First uh, John chapter 5. If you remember last time we did um, verses 6 to 12, we kind of skipped uh, over the first bit um, and uh, and did the central portion. Uh, was talking about the testimony concerning the Son of God, concerning Jesus, who he claimed to be. Um, and so today we're just going to look at the rest of the chapter. Um, so I'd just like to read it uh, together and then we'll, we'll work our way through it um, over the course of the next few minutes. All right, it says there, 1 John chapter 5, verse number 1, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And we'll skip down to verse number 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who is born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Uh, let's just pray as we commit our time to the Lord. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray that you will bless our, our ears to hear the truths of it this morning. I pray that you work in our hearts, that uh, your word may have its fruit in our lives. And uh, Lord, we just pray that you'll bless this time together as we, uh, as we open this passage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, please do excuse my voice this morning. I'm not sure why, but it's dropped, dropped about three octaves. So um, just forgive me for that. So in summing up the book of 1 John, really if there's one word that I, that I think we, sh we can uh, use to, to describe 1 John, it's confidence. Um, God wants us to have confidence in our faith, and that's what he uses John to John to, to do this this, uh, this morning is to, to give us the confidence, confidence to avoid uh, false teaching, so confidence in the truth, confidence in God. He, he reinforces who God is and, and things about his character, his holiness and his love, and then confidence also in what's coming next when we die, uh, our eternal de destiny. That's what John wants us to have confidence about. And so there's seven uh, things we want to look at from here that are, that are we knows. You'll see there's a number of we knows throughout this chapter, um, uh, things that we should know as, as Christians. And so there's seven uh, 
we know from, from this chapter that we're going to look at this morning. And the first of those are in verse number 2. It says there, verse number 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. So the first thing is we love God. Uh, you know, it's a fundamental truth. Uh, you can't be a Christian and not love God. You, you can't come to Christ and not realize what he's done for you um, and and not realize the, the payment that he's made through Christ. And so we love God. And we love his word and we love the Bible because it tells us about who he is. Uh, and we love him for what he did in sending Christ uh, to die on the cross. And... Uh, <coughs> Excuse me. Um, you know, it's not hard to love God when we realize what He's done for us. It's easy. Uh, on top of that, we know that God's perfect, uh, so He doesn't let us down. Uh, it's kind of a bit of a one-sided relationship. He always um, looks after us. He always has our best intentions at heart, and He's perfect. You know, He He doesn't He doesn't let us down. What's not so easy to love is other believers. And John kind of puts the two together here. He says, you know, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. And so there's some ways that we must demonstrate our love. And a lot of people give God lip service. They believe in God or they, they, they might even say that they love God. Um, but are they demonstrating that love? Um, for love to be true, it's got to be demonstrated. Uh, I love my wife, and uh, and I demonstrate their love by helping her do things. If I never talked to her, or I never did the dishes, or if I never did anything to help her, uh, if I ignored what she said and didn't give her anything on her birthday, it would demonstrate that really I don't have the love for her that I should. But when we demonstrate that love, it shows that it's true. And so there's two things that we want to look at about how we demonstrate our love for God. And the first of those is that we love the children of God, that we love each other. Those who are saved are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to demonstrate our love for God, we love each other. And that's harder to do than loving God, isn't it? You know, I think that's why it's a demonstration of our love for God, because it's not easy. Uh, often we all come into it. We're all sinners, aren't we? We're all, we all let each other down. We all say things at times which aren't kind or, or uh, you know, might be hurtful. Uh, we might just have personality clashes, which we don't get on with other with each other, and um, and and that makes it hard. Makes it hard sometimes to love each other the way that we should, and that's why it's a display. That's why it's uh, one of those things that John's saying. You know, if you love God, you've got to love each other as well. It's a demonstration of how much you love God that you'd be uh, willing to put up with each other. You know, I love the parable that Jesus tells in, in Matthew 18, uh, and he says there was a, you know there's a king. And he sat down to do his yearly accounting, you know, and he called in all the people that owed him money. And there was one man that in, uh, owed him 10,000 talents. And I did some maths, and do you know what that is in New Zealand dollars? About $6 billion. That's how much it was. So one talent was 15 years' wages. So if we work it out, that about, say, 40 grand is, a, is an average New Zealand wave, that wage, that adds up to $6 billion. That's pretty big debt, huh? And so the king said to this guy, well, um, where's my money? And, uh, and he said, well, you know, I, I can't pay you. And so the king said, well, I'm going to take you and your family and everything you own. I'm going to sell it and at least get some of my money back. And the man said, no, please be patient. I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back everything. 
And, uh, and the king took pity on this guy and he forgave him. And then the same guy went out and he found another guy who owed him some money. And that was 150 New Zealand dollars. One denarii, it says in, in Matthew uh, chapter 18. That was 150 bucks. And the man said, oh, you know, you owe me some money, give it to me. And this other fellow said, I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back, have mercy on me. But he didn't. He wouldn't have that compassion on him. And so he, he sent him to, to jail till he could pay the $150 back. And you know, this is, uh, obviously the king came along and sorted out the guy, the, the wicked servant who uh, had such a debt but wouldn't forgive his, his brother the same. And it's the, it's, that's the story that really uh, should make us realize how big a debt we have to God. You know, we owe him the $6 billion. Um, and what he's done in, through Christ on the cross is what, what we owe him. And yet so often we get concerned with 150 bucks that we owe to each other. And, uh, and that becomes a big deal. Um, and if we're to live lives that, that, uh, that show that we love God, we should be forgiving each other of these things that, that are relatively so small. So we display our love for God by loving each other. Secondly, uh, we display our love for God by obeying his commandments. It says there again, we, we love God and we obey his commandments. Uh, and, and it says there, uh, a curious thing there at the end of verse number three, it says, and, this and his commandments are not burdensome. They're not difficult. Might seem like a bit of an odd thing to do, but Jesus and, and God's commandments don't, aren't difficult to do. They don't, we don't have to climb a mountain. You know, we don't have to walk to Mecca on our knees or something. Um, we don't have to go through the streets of Hamilton beating a drum and singing songs in a skirt. You know, we don't have to do any of those sorts of things that some of the other religions have to do. You know, they're, they're quite good commandments, really. You know, loving each other, looking after each other, looking after the, the poor. Um, you know, all these sorts of things. Having fruit of the Spirit, you know, that's a good thing to have. That's a blessing to everybody if we're patient and kind and, and loving. You know, it makes us be, uh, be nice people to be around. It's a, it's a blessing to others. And so in that way, it's, it's not a burden. But Jesus goes on, he, he says a similar thing in Matthew 11. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, sometimes it, it doesn't feel easy to be a Christian, does it? You know, we, we're in a world where, you know, we're thought of being pretty odd to be Christian, to, to, to think that the Bible is true. You know, there's lots of people who would uh, give us a bit of a hard time about being a Christian. And it does seem to be a burden at times. Um, sometimes life can feel like a burden. Uh, but, but you know the answer there? According to Jesus' own words, it says, learn of me uh, and, and I'll, find, I'll give you rest for your souls. I think that's a tremendous comfort, you know, when, when life is, is difficult. So often it's because... Uh, you know, we get stressed about things, we get worked up about things, um, and we, we let these things get, get to us, you know. And, he, and Jesus promises rest for our souls, you know. It's, it becomes an easy life if we, if we just uh, can rely on him. Um, you know, when it, seems, when it seems hard, often it's because we're adding burdens to our own burdens, you know. We're, we're like the Pharisees, we'll just keep making things uh, that aren't commandments, commandments. We'll add things to our Christian walk to, to make it more difficult. You know, the Pharisees, uh, they had rules for everything, didn't they? You know, they had religious things that they had to do, and, and everyone had to conform to certain standards and rules. But, you know, being a Christian should be easy. 
should be a, a light burden. Uh, because also God cares for us. You know, I love First Peter 5, 7, uh, which says, Casting all your cares upon him because he cares for you. He cares for us, and so we can give him our burdens as well. You, know, well, you all know that we homeschool our kids, but when, when Ali was little, we used to take her to kindergarten, and uh, she'd have a little backpack, uh, and it would have her lunch and bits and pieces in it, maybe a, an extra jumper or something. And uh, we'd, I'd get out the car and, and take her up to, to kindergarten. She'd get about halfway with this, you know, she was only little as well, this big backpack on her back. And, uh, and she'd say, Dad, can you carry this backpack? And she'd give it to me. And the backpack was light. There was nothing to it. Uh, but for her, that was a big deal. You know, it was a big backpack. It was heavy. Um, and she, could, she couldn't skip with it, you know, uh, on her back. So she'd give it to me and she'd run into, run into kindergarten. You know, and that's so often the way that it is with us. We struggle under these things which we think are huge burdens and worries. Um, we've got these big things that are backpacks on our back weighing us down. And, uh, and we've got a, a Heavenly Father right next to us. Uh, and it's nothing for Him to carry these burdens. And so often we just need to give Him the backpack. We need to give Him the worries. Uh, as it says there in First Peter, cast our cares upon Him, for He cares for us. So we can demonstrate our love in these two ways, by loving each other and by uh, obeying God's commandments. And His commandments are not hard to do. Secondly, and this is in verse number 13, uh, we know that we have eternal life. Verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants to give us assurance of our eternal life, our eternal destiny. Uh, he wants to, us to be confident in the fact uh, that we know where we're going when we die. And why do we know that? Well, because John said it several times, as believers we have that assurance uh, of eternal life, and it's, it's throughout the scriptures. Uh, whoever has the Son has life, John said in, in verse number 12 there. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. We know it's a promise. We can claim that and we should have joy in doing so. Um, a little while ago, uh, a friend of mine and, uh, um, had some Bible studies with some Jehovah's Witnesses, a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses, and um, it was a futile effort, really. They were trying to convince us uh, to be J-dubs, and we were trying to convince them to believe the Bible, uh, to be Christians. And um, one of the things that, that I asked, uh, the older guy, he was, he was probably late 60s, um, been a J-Dub for many, many years. And, and I said to him, you know, do you have uh, assurance? Do you do know that you are going to be one of God's special people, that you'll be in the kingdom that you, that you talk about so much? And, and his answer was so sad, I thought it was just heartbreaking. He said, well, I hope so. You know, I hope I've done enough. When the time comes, I hope I've done enough. And I thought that's so sad that a guy could you know, be out there knocking on doors on a Saturday morning, um, that he could be doing all these things and have no assurance of his, of his eternal destiny. Um, and, you know, the, the gospel is so true. It, we don't have to worry about these things. You know, it, if we believe in the Son of God, we have life. Um, and, and I just thought that was so sad uh, that somebody could be working and working and working and working for something that didn't have any assurance for him. Um, you know, I'm reminded of last time we looked at the thief on the cross, you know, and he, was in, he couldn't do anything. 
He couldn't have gone out and knocked on doors or done anything. He just hung on the cross and said, remember me, Jesus, when you're in your, when you're in your kingdom. And Jesus promised him eternal life. Um, so we, we have, in Hebrews chapter 6, it, sa- it says this, we have a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. We spoke briefly last time about when Jesus died and the the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And that signified that the the Holy of Holies was open, that Jesus had become this high priest for us and that through him we could enter into the holy place. You know, now, our hope is not in what we do. It's in what Jesus has already done on the cross. And John confirms this uh, there in verse number 13. He says, you know, he wants you to, to know that you have eternal life. Um, that it's a done deal, it's already done, we've got it, it's locked up, we can have confidence in it. Uh, you know that, that Jehovah's Witness was trying to convince me that he was right and that I should swap what I have for what they have, um, but why would I swap the, the confidence that we can have in the Bible uh, with a hope uh, that's built on works and not by faith? So we know that we can have eternal life. Thirdly, we want to see that we know that God hears us. Look at verse number 14. This is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God hears our prayers. You know, throughout history and and, and many cultures today, they still have uh, little idols, don't they? They have uh, carved images, whether from wood or from from gold or whatever. Um, You know, today people go into Buddhist temples, or they go and worship Krishna, or they set up these little little symbols and things. In the Old Testament, there was Baal and Ashtaroth and some of these these false gods, really. Um, you know, and people would would worship and pray to them. Well, they they were they were and are um, gods that that don't answer. They don't hear our prayers. They don't hear their prayers. Uh, Pastor Joel mentioned. Um, uh, Elijah at the top of Mount Carmel with the Baal worshippers and the and the contest that they had going on there, and uh, and Elijah giving them a hard time, saying pray louder, and and they were trying to get Baal to listen to them, and then all Elijah had to do was pray to the living God, and fire came out of heaven and consumed uh, that that um, altar and the stones and everything. You know. We, we serve a living God, and that's an amazing thing, that he hears our prayers. He listens and he hears them. Um, you know, it's, it's not, not so for the, for the unbeliever. Um, they, you know, the, for, the, for these false gods, they don't hear. But we have this confidence that he does hear us. And there's nothing that's too difficult for God to, to, to do and to answer. Um, and he's interested in all the things that we have to say to him and to pray about. You know, I love I love listening to kids pray, and sometimes they pray for the craziest uh, craziest things. Um, we're talking this morning actually about my voice and uh, and uh, saying how croaky it was. And uh, so when we were praying for breakfast, um, little Adam said, "Oh, pray that Dad's voice won't be so cranky anymore." Uh, so don't know whether he's going to answer that prayer, but uh, I'll try um, to not have a cranky voice. Um, but also, you know, some of our kids, they pray for things like the weather would be nice so they can ride their bike or uh, 
Uh, Joel's very much praying about having holidays, so he'll pray that there's some holidays coming soon. Um, or that, uh, you know, that the cockroach that they caught won't escape from the jar, you know. Um, actually, that one might have been me. <laughs> um, but, you know, they, they pray for the craziest little things, and it's really cool uh, to listen to them. But I think sometimes to God, probably some of our prayers sound a little bit the same. You know, sometimes we pray about things that, that uh, seem that are really sort of sm- small, and you'd think to a God of the universe that they must be so irrelevant. Um, but he cares for every single one of our prayers. Um, and I think that's just such a comfort to know that God does love us. He, he wants to hear these things, just like we get pleasure out of hearing our kids pray for, for crazy little things. Uh, he gets pleasure from hearing about from us and all the things that we would want to bring before him. I love the encouragement from Paul to pray without ceasing. Um, and you know, to pray without ceasing is really, uh, you can't pray for big things all the time, can you? If you've got that, that idea of praying without ceasing, man, most of my days are just plain boring. Uh, but if I'm praying during them, uh, then I'm praying for little things, big things, uh, whatever comes into my head, whatever comes across my path. Um, and it's that state of, of, of thinking about God and praying to him about the big things and the small things. That, that, that's what he wants, and that's what he, he hears us. He's not, uh, he's not selective. He hears every prayer we have, and that's, that's a real comfort. Fourthly, we, um, we know that he not only hears our prayers, but he answers our prayers. Look at verse number 15. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. He answers our prayers. And so, you know, that's, that's really great. And I, I, you know, there, in the advertising, we have a little asterisk. So not, you've probably seen this in everywhere. You know, there'll be, a, there'll be a poster or something, and it'll say, um, you know, win a car. And, uh, and then there'll be a little asterisk at the end, and, and there's a little bit of fine print at the bottom. You know, it says, you can claim this car in 2050, you know, and um, things like that. Um, but there is one condition with verse number 15. If you just read 15 on your phone, you say, we know that he hears us in whatever we ask. We know that we have the requests that we've asked of him. And if you just read that in isolation, uh, and in some Christian teaching today, they, they sort of say, you know, you can demand anything from God. He'll give you whatever you, you know, you claim, name it and claim it. You've heard that. A lot of people, uh, for, you know, some of those mega teachers and things like that, they, they say a lot of things like that. Name it and claim it or just tell God what you want and he has to comply. Um, but if you look back in verse 14, there is always this condition that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So asking for that Ferrari and claiming it, uh, might not be the best thing to do. Uh, it has to be done in accordance with God's will. Everything that we pray for needs to be prayed for in accordance with his will. But he always answers our questions, our prayers, our desires. Um, could God give us everything we ever prayed for? Yes, he could, absolutely. He's powerful enough. There's nothing that's limiting to him. Um, but will he? Well, no, because sometimes uh, he wants what's best for us, and what's best may not be what we want at the same time. We have to pray according to our will. You know, if my my kids only ate what they wanted, they'd be veg- there'd uh, never be another vegetable in the house. It would all be lollies and cakes and things. But we know that that's not what's best for the for the kids, and so we have to give them good food as well. And uh, and God's the same. You know, He knows what's best for us. Sometimes we just want an easy life, and we want this pain to be gone. And we want our bank account to be full, and we want it to be healthy, and we want our kids to be well behaved, and all these things. Um, 
you know, but sometimes God puts us through some difficult times, um, and he does that for our good, it's for, so that we learn and grow, so that we don't become like our kids. If we only gave them lollies and cakes, they'd get sick after a while. It's not what's best for them, even though it's what they want. And God's the same. You know, it says in Luke 11, if a son shall ask uh, bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? You know, I love that. Uh, uh, he says, we're evil. You know, we still know how to look after our kids, but comparing to God, uh, we are evil, and, and he wants the best for us, and he's going to give us the best, but he's not going to give us things that are to our harm, and sometimes those things that we desire are not the right ones. So he, he says there the answer is to give us the Holy Spirit, and so often it's it's getting back to what what we were sort of saying before, is having that right heart, the right attitude towards life. Not often... Sometimes it's not God's will to take away our hardships and our difficulties, but it is his will that, that we have his Holy Spirit in us and we can handle those things because we give our burdens to God and we uh, rest on him to help us through those times. Now we reach um, verses 16 and 17, and, and it's a little bit of a deviation, but it's, it's done in the same um, in the same vein. We're talking about prayer. We have to remember it's in the context of prayer here. And uh, if you if you heard me read earlier and you thought, what on earth is this? Sin leads to death, and, and there is a sin that leads to death, and, and we shouldn't be praying for this and that. Um, and these are uh, confusing passages. Um, these are ones that have been debated a lot over time, um, and, uh, and they're, they're a little bit confusing. So what is Paul actually saying here in verses 16 and 17? Um, if, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for it, for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. What is he talking about here? Uh, is he talking about, well, the Catholics will take these verses, and they've built a whole doctrine around it. They'll have uh, things like um, mortal sins, and venial sins, that, so they classify that. They say, okay, well, according to what John's saying here, there is sins that lead to death. That's uh, um, uh, eternal death, um, hell, and, uh, and these are mortal sins. So if you commit these sins, and there's a whole list of them, uh, that's a mortal sin, and if you don't confess it to a priest and you die, then you go straight to hell. Is that what, what John's saying here? Uh, well, I believe the answer is no. Um, and uh, if we look at if we look at that, really the dividing line is what is John talking about here? He's talking about um, there is a sin that leads to death and, and not death. Is he talking about eternal death? Is he talking about uh, physical death? And this is really the defining line of, of what's he saying. And and it's not clear cut, but but I think there's enough evidence to say that he's talking about physical death here. Um, you know, saying to to look at this as spiritual death, there's a few issues. One of them is the context. John's talking about things that we know and confidence about our eternal destiny, um, and then to introduce something that says that you can lose your eternal future um, just is not really in keeping. I don't think with the con context of of what what John's saying here. Um, and so. Uh, 
uh, he's, he's uh, also saying there in verse 16, he says, uh, if a brother commits a sin and we pray for him, God will give him life. Well, again, that is the Catholic idea of somebody needing to intercede for you. Uh, but through the rest of Scripture, we know that that's not the case, that, that our, our responsibility is personal towards God, that we don't need another brother to intercede for us, um, you know, certainly not a priest or anything like that. Um, so we know that that's, that's not the case. So w- I believe quite strongly that this is talking about physical death, physical death. And can we back that up with Scripture? Um, yes, I believe we can. Uh, we're also just looking at, at sin. We know that, that all sin leads to death. We have Romans that tells us that. The wages of sin is death. Um, we know that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that, we, that there is all sins lead to death. So if we're talking about spiritual death here, um, that doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture either. Uh, so we're talking about physical death here. Um, and is there examples of the Bible where... Um, where, where believers were given physical death for disobeying, disobeying God, and, and yes, there are. Um, look at, uh, I won't turn there for the sake of time, but in Deuteronomy 32, you'll remember uh, Moses was leading the, the, uh, the nation of Israel, and uh, God told him, you know, they were complaining again, they didn't have any water, and they didn't have anything to drink, and, and uh, God told Moses to go and speak to the rock, and, uh, and out of that uh, would come water. And, uh, and Moses and Aaron, they got a bit self-confident. Um, and it says there in uh, Numbers 20, it says, Now uh, Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly uh, together before the rock, and they said to them, Here now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. So there's a couple of things wrong with that. Um, obviously, he disobeyed God. God had told him just to speak to the rock. But more than that, he usurped the authority of God. He said, him and Aaron were saying, you know, must we do it for you? Must we give you the water? And so in verse number 12 of Numbers 20, it says, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring the assembly into the land that I have given them. So they disobeyed God, and God's judgment upon Moses and Aaron was that they would not enter into the promised land. Um, they, had, they had broken that, that, uh, that chance for them. They, uh, God had said, that's going to be your punishment, physical death before they enter into the promised land. Did that mean that Moses and Aaron were, were not saved anymore? Um, no, it didn't, uh, not at all. At the end of Deuteronomy, it says, in fact, there has not, uh, this is Deuteronomy 34.10, says, there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron sinned against God, and their punishment was physical death before entering the, the, uh, the promised land, but he didn't lose his eternal life because of it. Are there other examples? Yes, there are. Obviously, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this a lot when we do the Lord's Supper. Um, Paul says there, you know, some are eating and drinking unworthily of the Lord's table. You know, they were eating and drinking damnation to themselves, it says, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. And the word sleep means physical death. 
So some of them were dying in the church because they were not um, paying, uh, doing the Lord's table properly because they were abusing it. And there was people who were coming, rich people having great feasts and other people who were poor and they weren't eating that as a body. They weren't um, acknowledging Christ and living the way that he would want them to in that, in that ordinance of the Lord's Supper. They were polluting it. And because of it, some of them were sick and some of them even died because of it. Um, there's other instances too. We can look at Paul um, in the uh, talking to the Corinthian church, um, you know, and he, he said uh, uh, in one case, uh, turn a man who who had uh, who was openly sleeping with his mother-in-law. He said, get him out of the church, um, turn him over to Satan. He says there for the destruction of the flesh. And the thing that's interesting there is he he says so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So Paul was saying, get him out of the church. Uh, you know, deliver him to Satan effectively, let Satan um, attack him so that he would realize what he's doing was wrong, return to the Lord and be saved and have an eternal future. And so sometimes those, uh, you know, that's done for, for their own good, you know, um, and that, that man uh, needed to realize what he was doing was wrong and that there was eternal, pun- that there was physical punishments for that um, and and, and then he needed to make sure that he was saved so that he would have eternal life. We could think of Ananias and Sapphira as well. They lied um, and were killed instantly for those lies. Um, and so, uh, you know, we don't, we don't know again whether they lost, uh, whether they were true believers or not, but uh, if they were, then they could have received their physical death um, for uh, their sins. So I think, you know, if we look at Scripture, we can see that, there, that this is what um, John's talking about here. He said there is, there is uh, sin that uh, grows over the line. It's not one sin, sin, it's not a set of sins that we can do that would, if we commit the sin, it'll give us uh, physical death. Um, really, it's crossing the line. It's, it's God says, you've really crossed the line there. Um, and we don't know what that is. Um, and there's no, you know, we don't have to pray um, it says there, you know, we don't have to pray about these things. Um, there is a, a sin that does not lead to death. So, you know, John's saying you're not under any compulsion to pray for people who are in this situation. We don't know who they are, so probably best just to keep on praying for, for anyone who is, is uh, slipping and is not living the way that they should. So... Yeah, so John's saying, you know, as Christians, as believers, we do need to take sin seriously. Okay, I think that's really what he's saying. In the context of prayer, pray for everybody. God hears us, take sin seriously. Um, and, and here's an example of when you could pray for somebody, and if God's already decided they've crossed the line. Anybody could have prayed for Moses in those days. They could have prayed that Moses would enter the, the promised land, but if it was according to God's will that he didn't, um, then, then he wouldn't. And that's, that's I think, the, the point John's making here. Um, so, so we just need to, to realize there, I think those verses are confirming that sin is serious. We need to take it seriously. Uh, fifthly, that we know that the true Christian does not live in habitual sin. And so this kind of carries on, uh, on the seriousness of sin. Verse number 18 says, We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. 
Um, and that goes back to what we were looking at before, where, where Paul said, you know, put the guy out of the church and Satan will, have a, uh, will attack him. Um, you know, when we pray for each other, uh, that helps, uh, Lord, uh, to keep us uh, to keep us safe from from Satan. Jesus prayed in his example prayer, didn't he? You know, deliver us from it, from evil, um, deliver us from the evil one. Um, and we, you know, we we can pray for each other for that as well. But a real Christian doesn't keep on sinning. We don't live in habitual sin. Uh, when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, He prompts us to. Uh, to do right, and, and when we do sin, it's a, it grieves us, it hurts us. We know that we are um, not in a right relationship with God, and it's not a comfortable place to be. Um, I think of the uh, the prodigal son. You know, he uh, I love those verses there. He he's lived this life. He went away from his father, and then uh, he he got himself into the situation where he was in the pig pen, and he was just about to eat the pig food. You know, and it says there that he came to his senses. You know, he realized, what am I doing here? You know, I'm in the pig pen. Uh, you know, I, I really don't belong here. This isn't my place. And as Christians, we're in the same thing. Sometimes we, we fall into sin and, and we, we realize that this is not where we should be. This is not what God ha- wants for us. We have a father and he has a, um, a, another life prepared for us. And often we're in the, in the place where we shouldn't be. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. Uh, to those who are saved in, in Galatians, it says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. So in, in believing in Christ, he, bra- he breaks the power of sin over our lives. Um, and so we realize when we are sinning and, and we don't go on sinning deliberately like that. Um, and so if somebody is in habitual sin, um, you know, we, we do have to pray for their salvation. Uh, or pray that, that, that they would realize that they're in the pig pen and they need to get out of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, year, for years and years and years, if you lived in habitual sin, you would really have to question your salvation in the first place. Uh, when we are Christians, we have a change of desire. Uh, we know from 2 Corinthians that a, when a man, uh, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away and all things have become new. So we take sin seriously. Um, we know that it was the re- that because of sin was why Christ had to die, um, and so we realise that it's an important thing that we uh, we deal with these issues and we don't keep on openly sinning. Sixthly, we know that we are on the winning side. And it says in verse nineteen, we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Uh, you know, we're separated to God. We're just pilgrims on earth. You know, we're just travelers. We're just going through. This is not our home. And I think that's an important thing for us to remember and to be uh, reminded of. You know, we're on, a, on the winning, winning side. Um, and, and our hearts should be set on, on the world to come, not on this world. This world is Satan's dominion. Um, and God allows him control for a time over it. And so when we look around us, we shouldn't be surprised at the fact that, the, that our society is getting further and further away from God. Things are getting worse and worse. Um, we, we know that Satan's reign is temporary. It's not forever. And that God will eventually crush him uh, and rebuild this, this world to be perfect again. We see there back in, number, uh, in verses 4 and 5, 
that, that he has overcome the world. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? We have victory over the world's system, over Satan's domain. You know, a lot of people will classify sports stars as winners or movie stars or billionaires or intelligent uh, scientists or something. But a winner really, according to this verse, um, is someone who isn't trapped with those things of the earthly standards. He's the one who, who doesn't even care about this life and what people think of him in this life, but is looking to the life to come. Uh, you know, as, as someone like John the Baptist that says in Matthew 11, Truly I say to you, among those born of women there has arisen, arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So when we get to heaven... You know, we might look up to those sports stars and those billionaires and things like that right now, but when we get to heaven, even the poorest in heaven will be greater than all the people in the world that are held up as, as uh, something really special and as a winner today. One day we'll be, you know, stronger and faster than all those guys and more intelligent because uh, we'll have, uh, we'll be perfect. We won't be limited by this world. So in Christ we have overcome the world, and I think that's a tremendous encouragement, hopefully, to us, that we are on the winning side, even though it seems like we're vastly outnumbered at times. Um, we are on the winning side, and, and God is, is the one in control. And the last uh, we know this morning, number seven, is we know that Jesus, we know Jesus, we know him who is true, it says there. Verse number 20, and we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding, so we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. What a, um, what a blessing to know God personally through Jesus and his Son, Jesus. And a personal relationship with Jesus Christ is the highest prize of being a Christian. You know, he's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Uh, he gives us understanding. Uh, we can look to him and be saved. And as we walk with him, we have, uh, he gives us the desire to be like him, to be conformed to his image. He's the perfect example of how we should live our lives. And uh, we are able to walk in the light as he is in the light, as it says in chapter 1 of 1 John. We know him and we can experience him every single day of our lives. Uh, through Christ, we can know God and have the absolute confidence of eternal life. And so John closes just with one little verse at the end there, and it seems a little bit odd at times, but he says, uh, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And he's not just talking about the little statues and things. Um, he's talking about anything that would distract us from the preceding verses, from knowing him who is true, from being in who is, him who is true, and being Jesus Christ, uh, and living a life with him, in that personal relationship with him. You know, his burden is light because... Well, it's all about a relationship. Uh, you know, so many religions, it's all about doing this and doing that and fulfilling a big list of things or not doing things on another list. Um, but Christianity is just about trusting Jesus and walking with him and allowing him into our lives uh, and to be Lord of our lives. So to conclude, I just want to uh, recap those seven things that we should know uh, from 1 John chapter 5. We should know that we love God and we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We should know that we have eternal life. 
We should know that God hears our prayers. We should know that God answers our prayers. We know that sin is serious and we're not enslaved to it. We know that God is in charge and that we're on the winning side. And we know Jesus personally and we can walk with him every single day. I pray that these things are a blessing to us and will give us confidence, as we're saying, confidence in our faith and confidence of the things that are to come.